Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. Today we're going to be taking a look at the second part of my two-part series dealing with Legendary Weapons of America. And as you may recall, the first part of the series, I focused on historical America. So these would be weapons from mostly the Revolutionary War era, uh, though I did also talk about some uh, possible ways to interpret weapons from historical fig- other historical figures like uh, Davy Crockett and uh, Jim Bowie, as well as how you might interpret uh, John Henry's sledgehammer as a weapon as well. Well, in part two here, we're going to be taking a look at some weapons and equipment from Native American legend. Now, I have discussed Native American topics before on this show, uh, specifically if you go way back to episode 111, my friend James and I did an episode called Historical Gaming Native America. Now, the Historical Gaming series is a series I do where I will discuss how to adopt Dungeons & Dragons to different settings that are normally not touched upon in the official Dungeons & Dragons product lines. So I've done things like Egypt, I've done uh, Pirates... I've also done Victorian England, the Philippines, Oceania, Thailand. So I've done, again, all sorts of different countries. Well, in the Native American episode, one of the things that James and I touched on, and I know TSR did address this issue as well in the second edition Legends and Lore supplement, Part of the thing that can make creating a Native American campaign so challenging, and perhaps this is one of the reasons why it hasn't really been touched upon in official TSR or Wizards of the Coast supplements, is the fact that Native Americans are a diverse group of people. And again, how you would use the term Native American, who you would consider a Native American... I'm sure that's up for debate as well. As far as I know, usually when we discuss Native Americans, we're referring to people indigenous to the United States and Canada. I think sometimes they include Mexico. Not sure if they include people from Central America and South America under the Native American umbrella, or if there's a different ethnic group they use to describe those people. But, as I said, we we focused on that episode about the U.S. and Canada. And we also did discuss a little bit uh, with Mexico. And that's that's a topic I'll probably touch eventually. I would certainly like to uh, talk a little bit about the, you know, how you might do a D&D campaign in the uh, Aztec Empire. And I'm sure I'll probably do a legendary weapons episode on the Aztecs as well. Who knows? That's probably a bit in the future, though. But as I said, there's a wide range of Native American tribes, 
each one having their own unique culture and religious beliefs, as well as what types of weapon, armor, and equipment they would have access to. I mean, just to look at the U.S. and Canada, uh, you take a tribe like the Seminoles, who were native to Florida, they're going to be quite different than the Native American tribes indigenous to my area, uh, you know, in the, the Midwest U United States, where I think they're considered the more woodland cultures. And they're going to be different from the tribes that were indigenous to the Great Plains. And again, they're going to be different from the people who are native to the Pacific Northwest or the deserts of the American Southwest. And again, you start getting further north, uh, they're going to be different from the people that were indigenous to Alaska, Yukon, the Northwest Territories, and Nunavut, which I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. So if we have any uh, Canadian listeners, please feel free to tell me how badly I <laughs> mispronounced that. So anyways, uh, like I said, it's that's what can be challenging. And uh, since... A lot of Native American cultures didn't have a written history. A lot of the stories were passed on orally. So that made it difficult for me to find a lot of unique Native American weapons. I mean, I was able to find some stories about Native American heroes, but not all of them really gave me ideas for any specific weapons armor, or other interesting pieces of equipment that they may have used. Fortunately, there's a few sources I can fall back on. Uh, some of it comes from my experience working on a planetarium for many years. Often when I told star stories, I usually told a lot of stories about, you know, from Native American tribes. And I always liked them because a lot of them were very, they were interesting. Some of them had a touch of humor to them. But most importantly, they were age appropriate. So if I was doing a presentation for a group of kindergartners or first graders, I probably want to shy away from the stories like where Zeus has an affair with Callisto and they have a son and that's how we get the great bears. Or of course, I'd have to be really careful with how I tell that story, but I could usually tell the Native American stories without uh, much, without having to really modify my language. And if you want to hear some of those stories that I used to tell, uh, go back to episode 126, where I did an episode that was done in the style of a planetarium presentation where I did discuss some Native American stories. And I might have a little overlap in this episode with that one, but anyways, go back and listen to that. Uh, episode 126, if you are interested in Native American legends and stories. So another source that I consulted, and I've talked about this quite a bit already, the Childcraft story Myths and Legends, or rather the Childcraft book Myths and Legends that I had when I was a kid. And I was uh, talking with uh, one of my listeners on Twitter, and, you know, we talked a little bit about that book and I mentioned that yeah back in that those days when I was first starting to get interested in D&D &D, 
I probably got about as much use out of that Childcraft Myths and Legends book as I did some of my D&D books. There's also another one I have a story from, and that's from. there was also a Childcraft book on Native Americans. Unfortunately, I can't find it, so I don't know if I still have it or not, or if it got sold at a rummage sale somewhere down the line. But there's a there's a good story that I have from that particular uh, book that I'll be telling today. So we will take a look at some Native American weapons and equipment right after this quick announcement. It was a dark and stormy night and the hosts of the Queens of the Damned podcast had just gathered around the fire with their tomes of forgotten lore. Don't forget the wine! And a lot of wine, much of which had already been imbibed. For her part, Miranda was discussing... A history of Frankenstein, from its conception to Karloff's beloved role as the monster. And Rachel would continue with... Vincent Price. Like, everything about Vincent Price. And as the fire died down... Nikki would conclude the evening with something related to gothic literature, probably. You know me so well. Do you like listening to three women debate about the cultural significance of the horror genre? And also axe murders. I do love a good old-timey axe murder story. Then Queens of the Damned, a horror podcast, is the show for you. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere you can download a podcast. Visit us at queensofthedamnedpodcast.wordpress.com, qotdpodcast.podbean.com, or email us at qotdpodcast at gmail.com for more details about our monthly horror giveaways. Stay spooky! And we're back. So the first item I'd like to talk about is not a unique item, Well, it is in a way, and it's something called a sacred bundle or a medicine pouch. Now, they do talk about these in the second edition Legends and Lore Handbook, where they describe how to create one, and again, having had some friends who are Native Americans, I have heard about these before. So, essentially what a medicine pouch or a medicine bag or a sacred bundle is It's a small pouch that contains sacred items. And as I remember uh, one of my Native Native American friends telling me, they're supposed to be very personal and very private items. So the items that you put in in the bundle are supposed to be sacred or have religious significance to you. And I think there was even a tradition where you're not supposed to tell anyone uh, what you put in the bundle. So it might include things like, well, maybe uh, a ring that was worn by a deceased relative, or, you know, might, you might also put something in there like maybe, a, you know, a small rock that was from the yard of the whole uh, place where you were born at, things like that. And it was believed these would help protect you and keep you spiritually well. Now in the legends and lore book, they describe it as being something that you you have to go on some sort of a vision quest and you consult with the spirit that tells you what items to get. 
And usually these are going to be items that are very difficult to obtain. Like the examples they give in Legends and Lore are things like the rattle from a giant snake or the claw of a bear. So again, very dangerous uh, items to go retrieve. But once you put all these bundle items together in the bundle, it does give you some protective bonuses. It In uh, Legends and Lore, and I, I'm sure you could modify this for use in any version of Dungeons and Dragons, as well as any other role-playing game, the primary bonuses it gives you are saving throw bonuses, a bonus to your armor class when you're unarmored, also makes you a little harder to surprise as well. And I think it's all appropriate since, as I said, they are intended to be uh, very protective in their nature. However, uh, one of the things about these bundles is that they only work for the person who actually created it. And again, that does uh, actually agree with uh, culture where, as I said, my Native American friend was explaining to me that these items were said to be very personal and very private in what was in them. Now, in Legends and Lore, they do add something else that if you ever remove the Sacred Bundle, it stops working for you So you and you can't get another one. So, not sure I necessarily agree with that particular limitation, but if you are going to make them a, a significantly powerful magic item in your campaign, I could definitely see in those terms or in that situation, having it that only one person, you know, that... It only works for that one person, and it can't be removed. And again, because if you take it off, it stops working, it's going to make sure your, your characters are careful with their sacred bundles. Another non-unique item is the medicine shield. Native Americans usually used thick wooden shields that had hide or leather stretched over them. They also used items called medicine shields, and these were more decorative in nature, so usually they weren't as heavy or as durable as a war shield was. But these shields were designed to protect the wearer spiritually. So I think if we're converting them to Dungeons & Dragons, can probably use the normal rules for a magical shield, but instead of giving you an armor class bonus... I mean, it would still give you the normal plus one bonus for, you know, having a shield, but the magic bonus would only apply to your saving throws as opposed to your uh, armor class. And, and I suppose if you want, you could certainly make other modifications, like if you want to make just one type of medicine shield, maybe have it act as a shield plus one or shield plus two, but it gives you a better bonus, plus three, plus four. Maybe plus five if they're exceptionally rare, but it does give you that significant bonus to your saving throws. Well, the first story I'd like to tell is a Lakota legend, and this came from the Myths and Legends Childcraft book. The name of the story in the book is called The Brave Coward, and the in the story, the hero is only referred to as the young man. So I'm not sure if it's a situation where maybe the authors of the book weren't able to find the name for the protagonist of this story, 
or if it's possible that maybe the name was just never preserved. So maybe people were telling this story for hundreds of years, but for whatever reason, they never told the name of the actual protagonist, which would be interesting because in a way you could, it could be used as a, an allegory, I guess you could say where that you could put yourself in the role of that young man where it shows you how to overcome your fear and become a brave hero. So the story goes that the tribe that the young man came from was being oppressed by a man named Redhead who had red hair. So it's not just a clever name, but Redhead was said to be a powerful sorcerer and he used his magic to kill many of the braves of the tribe. And because of this, every young man wished to become brave enough and strong enough to kill Redhead, except for one, the young man, again, our protagonist of the story. It was said that he was not a very brave individual, and as a result, his uh, he was ashamed of this, and his parents were somewhat ashamed of him as well. So one day, he decided he was going to run away from home, because he just couldn't you know, bear the fact that he was, you know, this coward and, you know, his parents were ashamed of him and uh, probably people looked down at him. Well, as he was leaving home, he came across an old woman and the uh, woman was using a, a walking stick that was decorated with the feet and bills of different types of birds. When the young man met the woman, she introduced himself as little old woman who makes trouble. She told the young man that even though he had this reputation as being a coward, she saw potential in him and she decided she was going to give him the means that he would need to kill Redhead. So first she ran a magical comb through his hair, which caused his hair to become very long. And then he applied magical makeup to his face, which made him look like a beautiful young woman. He then gave her or gave him uh, women's clothes and a bowl that had a blade of grass in it. But this was no ordinary blade of grass. It was called knife grass. So even though it looked like just a blade of grass, it was very sharp. So armed with the knife grass, as well as the uh, magic disguise that little old woman who makes trouble gave him, the young man went to where Redhead's tribe lived. And as she got to the lake, she saw several men paddling up in canoes. Now, thanks to the magic that little old woman who makes trouble had given to the young man, they all were captivated and wanted him to be their, his wife. Well, up came Redhead, and he was using a canoe that was made of live rattlesnakes. And he said that, you will be my wife, and tonight we're going to get married. So the young man went into the boat with Redhead, and they went to the, the camp. Well, that evening, uh, she was by the lakeside. And Redhead came up to talk with her. Well, this was the opportunity that the young man had been waiting for. 
he pointed off into the distance and asked Redhead if he saw what what he saw over there. And Redhead, well, he looked in the direction she pointed. And he was wondering, well, what what do you see there? I don't see anything. Well, then the young man took this opportunity. He took out the knife grass, used it to cut off Redhead's head, and then swam back to the uh, his tribe. And, of course, he became then a, a brave warrior. So there's a few different items that we could incorporate from this story. Uh, two of them, would I think, would need to be used together, and that would be the comb and the makeup, where you could use this magic comb to make someone's hair longer, and then, of course, the makeup could be used to convincingly disguise a man to look like a beautiful woman. But the real item from this story that I was thinking about was the knife grass. So I would make it about the size of a dagger. However, I would have it do damage as a short sword and give it the properties of a vorpal sword. Since, you know, as we saw in the story, its primary purpose was to cut people's heads off. The next story... Uh, This one actually came from, I think it was the Childcraft Native American book, and it's a story about the origin of the mosquitoes. This is a legend from the Tinglet tribe, and I think they're native to the uh, Pacific Northwest. Now, I don't remember the name of the protagonist of this story, so again, it's possible that the authors either didn't remember the name of the, the the character or it's possible it just was never written down so no one might know if he originally had a name or not. But this story is about a tribe that was being terrorized by a powerful giant. And this giant would kidnap people, take them back to his home, and then he would kill them and drink their blood. Well, many men died fighting this giant. They would throw their spears or shoot their bows at the giant, but no one, it didn't seem to hurt the giant at all. So they thought maybe the giant's heart is in another place. So they tried firing arrows or stabbing his arms or his legs with his spears, but no matter where they hit, it just didn't seem to hurt the giant at all. Well, there was a warrior from this tribe he decided that he was going to try to take down the giant, but he realized he would need to be clever about it. So what he did is he went to where he knew the giant would go hunting, and he was either armed with bow and arrows or a spear. I apologize, it's been so long since I've read the story, I don't remember what weapon he used, but uh, we'll get to that later. So then what he did is he lied down and played dead. And before long, the giant came upon him and he said, hmm, a dead man. And he's still warm. I will take him back to my home and drink his blood. So he put the man in a bag and dragged him back to his house. Well, once he got back to his home, the giant went off to I assume prepare for the feast or do whatever giants were believed to have done. And 
the man crawled out of the bag and he saw one of the giant servant servants and he demanded to know where the giant's heart was. So the servant told him that it was in one of his ankles. I again I don't remember if it was the left ankle or the right angle ankle, but it, that's where the the weak spot was located. So when the giant came back to eat the young man, what he did is he sprang from his hiding spot and then he attacked the giant in its weak point, killing it. Well, as the giant lie dying, he said, even though you have killed me, young warrior, I shall continue to drink your people's blood. Now, of course, the young man was not happy about this insult. So he took the giant out into the woods, built a large fire and burned the giant's body to ashes. He then picked up a handful of ashes and said, how is it that you will drink my people's blood giant? And he threw a handful of ashes into the air. Well, as he did this, the ashes turned into mosquitoes and the young man could hear a faint laughter from coming out of nowhere so that's a nice little story about a, a brave warrior who kills a giant, but also explains the supposed origins of mosquitoes. Now, as I said, I don't recall whether it was a bow or a spear that the man used, but you could work either way. I mean, there are arrows of giants slain in Dungeons and Dragons, so that's how we can interpret the arrows or we could also make a spear that had the properties of a sort of giant slain. And I also think that weapons like these would not be inappropriate for a Native American campaign because there are other tribes that also have legends of giants or giant-like creatures. So it does make sense that we could see these types of weapons in a Native American campaign. Well, now I'm going to go back to the Childcraft Myths and Legends book. Uh, this one is about a story of a man named Scar on the Face. And this particular story was called The Journey to Find the Sun. And this is because some Native American cultures saw the, the moon and the sun, and I think some of the other elemental forces as well, as personified by godlike beings. Now, this story comes to us from the Blackfoot tribe, and it was said Scar on the Face was the poorest member of his tribe. His clothes were all worn and tattered, and he didn't have um, a lot of possessions. Also, no woman wanted to marry him because he had this scar on his face. Hence the name. Scar on the face. <laughs> so the tribe had a, a chieftain, and the chieftain had a very, very beautiful daughter. And every young man in the tribe wanted to win her hand in marriage, but she always said no. Well, Scar on the face realized he had nothing to lose. So he asked the woman if she would marry him. She thought for a moment and, you know, of course said no, but said that the reason why is because she belonged to the sun 
and the son would not let her get married unless he allowed it. So she did decide to give him a task. He's like, well, if you can get the son's blessing, I will marry you. And to come as proof of your, of his permission, ask him to remove the scar on the side of your face. So scar on the face gathered what few possessions he had and set out to find the son. So as he traveled, he came across a wolf and the wolf asked him what he's doing so far from his hunting grounds. And he explained that he was looking for the sun. So the wolf offered to guide him as far as he could and told him that there was a, a bear who had traveled further than he has. So he told him how to find the home of the bear. Well, when he came to the bear, the bear asked, what are you doing so far from the lands of your people? And Scar on the Face explained the purpose of his journey. So the bear um, said that he knew someone who may be able to help him. So he told him where to find a wolverine. So he traveled to the realm of the wolverine. And of course, the wolverine wanted to know what he was doing so far from the lands of his people. And he explained his journey. So the Wolverine pointed him to the trail that would take him to the son's home. And he would have to go to a place called the Great Water and find a way to the other side. Well, when he came to the Great Water, he found two swans and they helped him across the water. When he got to this strange new land, he was walking along a trail and he saw on the side of the road a beautiful bow, quiver of arrows, and a beautiful shield. He looked at them, but didn't touch them. As he continued on his way, he came across a handsome young man dressed in fine clothing. And the young man asked him, did you see a pile of weapons and a shield on this trail? And Scar on the face replied, yes, I did. I looked at them, but I didn't touch them. If they belong to you, you will find them just as you left them. Having passed this test of honesty, the young man introduced himself as star of the early morning, and he was the son of the sun. So the of course scar on the face was overjoyed. He knew that star of the early morning could take him to the sun. So star of the early morning took scar on the face to his father's teepee and it was decorated in many fine things. And inside was a woman, the moon. Well, the sun returned from his day and scar on the face decided not to ask about the girl just yet. However, the sun and the moon were both happy to see Scar on the face because, unfortunately, Star of the Early Morning didn't really have other young men that he could play with or he could hunt with. Well, the next day, Star of the Early Morning asked Scar on the face if he could go hunting with him. And before they left, Moon told Scar on the face that they needed to stay away from the great water. And she explained that she had other sons, but all of the, her other sons were killed by the birds of evil. And that 
uh, you know, they were always worried about Star of the Early Morning that if he got too close to the Great Water, the birds of evil would kill him as well. So Scar on the Face, of course, promised to protect Star of the Early Morning. Well, as they were hunting, they found the tracks of a deer, and they followed it, and Scar on the Face noticed they were getting close to the Great Water. He tried to tell Star of the Early Morning that they should go back, but he wouldn't listen to him, and they got too close to the Great Water, and they were attacked by the birds of evil. So these creatures were giant black birds with fierce red eyes and sharp red beaks and claws that were the color of blood. Well, Scar on the face, he, of course, defended Star of the Early Morning. He used a spear to fight off the birds. And after a battle, all of the birds of evil were dead. Star of the Early Morning and Scar on the Face returned home and told the sun and the moon of the good news, that the birds of evil were dead and would torment them no more. They were overjoyed and offered to give Scar on the Face anything he wished. So, of course, Scar on the Face asked for the first that he would have permission to marry the chief's daughter. And then they granted him this permission and then requested they moved his, remove his scar as proof of his blessing. And they were only happy to do this because they, he had defeated the birds of evil. So that evening, they took him along a pathway in the stars to take him back to his village. And not only that, they also gave him some gifts, fine clothing and fine weapons. With this proof, Scar on the Face was given permission to marry the chief's daughter. And of course, as the... Stories and the fairy tales often go, they lived happily ever after. So the main weapon that I would take away from this story is Scar on the Face's Spear. Now, since he used this to defeat the birds of evil, which were probably the embodiment of evil of some kind, I would give it a damage bonus against evil creatures. But I would also give it an extra bonus against avians since he did use it to kill these evil birds. As far as the other stuff he was given, the clothing, I could see his clothing as having an effect where, you know, maybe treated as like leather armor plus two, something like that. But since it was so finely decorated, I would also give it a, have it give the wearer a charisma bonus. Well, the final story I'd like to tell is about a hero named Longsash. And this is a Tiwa legend. And this was also one of my favorite stories to tell when I used to give live star shows back at the planetarium. The story goes that Longsash was a wise and much-loved leader. He led his people in a time of great peace and prosperity. But then there came a time of troubles. The crops died. Their enemies were attacking them. There was sickness and famine. The people went to Longsash and said, Lead us away from here. Lead us away from this bad place before we all die. Longsash thought for a moment and said, My people, times are bad now, but they may yet improve. If we wish to leave, the journey will be long and dangerous. 
Stop, think, ask yourselves, do you want to take that risk? But the people were firm. They decided that they wanted to leave. So Longsash led them on what would be a long and dangerous journey. As they traveled, sometimes the people would start to get into fights, and sometimes they would even start to hit each other. This made Longsash sad, and he said to his people, Stop! You are hurting each other worse than your enemies have. So I will build two campfires, and whenever you have a problem with one of your brothers or sisters, go to these two campfires, sit down and talk about your problems and settle them peacefully. And it's said that the constellation Gemini, the twins, specifically the two stars, are the place of decision making. And these were the two fires that Longsash built. Now you will notice that one of the stars is a little bit brighter than the other. And that's because it was said Longsash wanted to remind his people that even though sometimes one decision, one path, might look a little brighter or a little easier than the other, that doesn't always mean it's the best decision to make or the best way to go. Guided by this wisdom, the people continued their journey until they reached a land that was so new, not even Longsash had seen it before. Well, the people settled down, they started families, had children, and grew older. But Longsash knew he wasn't going to live forever. So he told his people, I will not be with you forever. So in the sky, I will place my headdress as a comforting cluster of stars. So should you ever need to be reminded of my wisdom, look upon these stars and think of me. And it's said that the... Pleiades are the stars that represent the headdress of Longsash. And it's said that even today, Longsash remains in the sky to watch over his people as the constellation we call Orion the Hunter, with the three stars forming Orion's belt and the stars that form his sword as representing the sash that he wore. So the item that I took from this story was Long Sash's headdress. So I think this particular item should give you a pretty significant bonus to your charisma and wisdom. Because again, Long Sash was known for being a very wise, very well-liked leader. I would also have, have the headdress give the wearer a bonus to his saving throws against mental attacks. Well, there you have it. Some stories from Native American folklore and legend, and some ways that you might use some items in these stories in your Dungeons & Dragons campaign. like to thank you all for listening, and as always, have a good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever it is wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.